Stu and this is Sarah and right now we're at New Hope Uganda in Kasama in Uganda, East Africa. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time to come and worship you as your family. Lord, may we sing the songs of joy and of appreciation and of blessing to you this time together in Jesus' name. Our desire as we bring the fatherhood of God to communities around us is to serve the children and their families who really are in need. We aim to help keep vulnerable babies safe and growing healthily in their family. And we do this in various ways through our outreach program. We only bring the really needy babies into our care at Hope Family. We work hard with our staff to help these precious children build good attachments to their carers. This in turn makes their future transition into biological or new family much easier. By Father God's grace, our focus continues to develop in the surrounding communities. Our outreach is a big commitment as we desire to build stronger relationships with the locals, the councillors, the churches and local government agencies. A vulnerable baby and their family receive encouraging counsel, education, milk, porridge, clothing, blankets, medical care and much more. I am Sambo Rogers. I work here at Hope Uganda at Hope Family as a social worker. I, I do visit babies in the community, I taking uh, support in terms of uh, porridge, milk and support for medication. Whether here at Hope Family or out there in the communities, the work is growing and we continue to need help in various ways. The following are ways you can help. For the newborn baby who has maybe lost their mother through death, we provide milk formula for the first six months. Milk formula is expensive the world over, but it gives a baby a great start in life. We always encourage the primary carer in the benefits of good hygiene and advice on how to best care for their baby. You can donate specifically for this life-saving milk formula. Another essential need is our operational costs, and they cover things like staff wages, food, toiletries, the running of the building, and our social workers' motorbike. We are blessed to have a monthly sponsorship program for Hope Family's work, and the more people who sponsor, the more little ones we can serve. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. They did a great job, didn't they? So thank you to the video team. It's really good to be with you today, and I'm not paid to say that. I say it because it's true. Uh, we always enjoy coming to this church because you are real partners. You are really uh, a part of what is going on in Uganda, and it is great to have partners like you. We could not do on that side what we do if it wasn't for people like you here doing the things that you do. 
and choosing to partner with us. I know that there are many wonderful organizations around the world doing many things and you could have partnered with any of them instead of us, but we really appreciate your partnership and uh, you have been involved in so many different things with us over the years. I think it's been about 14 years since uh, this church joined uh, the work with us. And in that time, you have sent a number of teams. You have supported uh, or sponsored children. You have sent missionaries. You sent the Beadlers uh, a few years back. And they were with us, I think, for about two years and were a great blessing to us. And now we have the Augusto, Stephen, Virginia with us. And we're very, very grateful that uh, you have sent them. We are sad that they're going to be leaving us. We're happy for you because we know that they are a blessing when they're on this side of the ocean as well. But uh, in February or something like that of next year, they'll be coming back here. They have been, uh, Steve has been running our teams and the guest house and Virginia has been supporting him in that. Uh, he has taken our teams and our our guest house to a new level of excellence and it's just exciting to see uh, what can be done with when such a gifted man gets a hold of something. Um, Virginia has been a tremendous blessing to many of our ladies and has uh, in prayer and in Bible study she's been a real blessing to them. So thank you for sending them. Thank you for supporting them and really standing with them in prayer and um, yeah, thank you for all the other things that you have done as well to be part of this team. The work started in 1986. Uh, the war was, had ended in January of 86 and God uh, allowed us to go and start working there in September of that year. So it's, it's almost uh, 30 years now since we first went to Uganda. Uh, the children that we initially cared for were virtually all war orphans, but now it's much more uh, AIDS orphans or children who have been abandoned uh, for various reasons. That's what makes up most of the children that we care for now. We care for newborn babies, as you saw, all the way through university students. And if you've done something, if you've been involved with children for 30 years, the ones that you started with are not children anymore. In fact, uh, some of them are about to be grandparents, so <laughs> uh, life moves on. But God has blessed. It's been a gradual growth over the years from, um, well, in 88 is when we got our first 10 children and now we have, we're caring for plus or minus 600 children. Uh, that's, as I said, all ages. We have, um, we have two primary schools, a secondary school, and a pastoral training college, or not college, excuse me, institute. Our, our mission statement is bringing the fatherhood of God to the fatherless. And that comes from Psalm 
68 verses 5 and 6 that say, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. So that's what we have been doing for almost 30 years now, is creating families and setting children in those families or working with biological families, helping them to be able to better care for the children that uh, have been left to them. And uh, so you might ask, why do you have a pastoral training institute? One of the things that we've been learning is that you can, you can treat symptoms or you can treat causes. And we are committed to treating the symptoms. And in this sense, I'm talking about the orphans, the children that are left behind as being the symptom. They're not the problem. They're the symptom. They're the result of problems. And we will keep caring for them. We're called to do that. We're called to bring the fatherhood of God to the fatherless. But if we can also prevent children from becoming fatherless, then we don't have to take care of those children. They'll be cared for as they ought to be. And so with the Pastoral Training Institute, what we are doing is we are investing in uh, pastors in the community. Many of our pastors in our area have little, if any, training. And, you know, they, they were at some evangelistic crusade and they came forward and they knew how to read, therefore they are the pastor and the next Sunday they are preaching. And you can imagine what some of those sermons are like. And um, so the, the church in general is quite weak there. The teaching is generally quite weak, sometimes scary and dangerously. Uh, bad teaching. Uh, so we're, we're investing in the, the pastors so that they can better teach their people and they and their people can care for the fatherless and even change lifestyles so that they don't, pre, uh, they don't create fatherless children. So that's one of the ways in which we are dealing with the whole um, cause of of fatherlessness. So we, we do have um, three major sites. Kasana is our first site, and, and the map or the aerial picture that you saw earlier is Kasana, our main site. We also have Kobwin over in the eastern part of the country where we have been caring for rescued children that came from, that were rescued from Konyi, the the mad man, the demoniac who has been killing in the north, uh, northern part of the country for many years. He's gone now. He hasn't been in Uganda for a number of years. Uh, I haven't kept track, but about eight years now he hasn't been in Uganda. Uh, but the children that have been rescued from him, those are some of the ones that we have been working with over in the eastern part of the country. And then we also have a camp on the shore of Lake Victoria, a beautiful, beautiful piece of land that the Lord gave us, about a thousand acres, and uh, it's a spectacular place. And it's being used now for various things, including training 
young men and young women in biblical manhood and womanhood. We call that BMW. It's the, the, the uh, ultimate driving machine. So um, I haven't told the car makers that, uh, that uh, they need to take a back seat to us. But anyway, um, that's another thing that we're doing to prevent fatherlessness. Uh, from coming is to help young men and young women understand biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. I want to uh, have you consider with me briefly a verse. It's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Hebrews 3.1. I really like hearing pages turn. Um, it means that you're, you are tending toward being Bereans who are really studying the scripture to see if what the guy is saying up front is actually true and biblical. That's good. Uh, so thank you for using your Bibles. Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, I'm really sort of stealing two words out of this verse because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this verse. And the two words are consider Jesus. Now, it, it says that he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. The apostle meaning he's the sent one, the one who came and speaks to us from God. And the high priest meaning he's the one that takes us to God and speaks to God on our behalf. And that is wonderful. There are many sermons that could come out of that part of it. But what I'm really after today is just the phrase, Consider Jesus. And I would like us now to consider Jesus. And uh, let's do that by turning to John chapter 6. And we're going to be moving pretty quickly through this passage. I won't read all of it. This is a, a story that you are very familiar with. And a story that probably in your Bible is misnamed. In my Bible it says, feeding the 5,000. And yes, it does talk about feeding 5,000, but that's not the main point of this passage. So let's start by reading. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. They saw his signs which he performed. Now, I don't know uh, how many of you men treat signs the way I treat signs. I drive by landmarks, not by signs. And 
in, in Colorado, where we've been for a while now, there is a sign that I have been using for months without reading. And because uh, there's a business there that we go to. We, we frequent that business. And we drive down the street, and I don't know the name of the street, and then there's a very colorful sign, and I don't turn there, I turn at the gray sign. <laughs> and I, I had no idea what that gray sign was a sign of until about a month ago, one of my uh, daughters or my wife mentioned something about the Douglas County Public Library that was right there. And I thought, oh, there's a library here. Now, that, when you turn right at that sign, you're headed straight for the public library. I never saw the public library because that's not where I was going. I was going to the to the business next door to the public library. And so I didn't know there was a public library and I didn't know that the sign that I've been using to get to this business was the public library sign. That's, I think, the way these people were treating signs because Jesus had given them signs, he had performed signs that were supposed to point to him and who he is. And they, they saw the signs and misread the signs and concluded that he was someone he is not. They knew he was great, yes, the sign pointed to his greatness to a certain degree, but not to who he really was. So they missed it. So these guys are following him because of the signs that he performed. Now, um, many of us, I think if we hear some, that someone is following the Lord, we get very excited about that. Wonderful, he's following the Lord. Well, what is he following the Lord for? For who the Lord is or for what he can get from him? There's a difference Let's read on. And Jesus went up on, a, on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, before, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Now it's very easy for us to look at that verse 4 as sort of a throwaway verse that, why did, why did John put that there? Uh, this is talking about feeding 5,000. This is not talking about the Passover. Actually, that verse gives us the context for this whole story because the Passover is a story about the bread that represents Jesus. And you remember the story of the Passover in the Old Testament. Uh, they, were, they were to do signs of the Savior that was going to come and save from sin. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is the, the bread of life. He, he is represented by the unleavened bread at Passover, the bread of life that's broken for us and available to us. But, so that's why that verse is there. 
to give a context of bread and the bread of life, not just bread for the stomach. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five loaves and two fish, two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And we all know that there's always more women and children than men, right? So who knows how many people there were here. Actually, it could easily be 12,000 people that are sitting there and going to eat from five loaves and two fish, two small fish even. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as, as much as they wanted. Then when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled the uh, 12 baskets with the fragments of the five loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. So just a little interesting side note. Have you ever wondered where the 12 baskets came from? When you're going on a long hike following Jesus, you don't normally take empty baskets with you just in case there's some food that you might need to collect at the end of the day. So I'm wondering if Jesus also multiplied baskets or after creating the first one, because I don't even know what the first one would be there for. The boy did not need any good-sized basket to carry his five little loaves and two fish in. I don't know what he had, but maybe just a pocket or something. But anyway, uh, somehow there's suddenly 12 baskets here that are filled with the leftovers that uh, 12,000 people have left after they have had all that they wanted. Now, it's important for us to look at verse 14 and see what, how these people read signs. It says, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Uh, which prophet are they referring to? They're referring to the Messiah, but they're referring to the Messiah by their definition, not by God's definition, because they understood that the Messiah would come and deliver them from the Romans and set up a kingdom, an earthly kingdom, 
in Israel with Jerusalem as the headquarters, and they'd live happily ever after. So now that they have seen Jesus feed all of that huge crowd of people with five loaves and two fish, and there's 12 basketfuls left over, this is the man. This is the Messiah that they have been waiting for, and he has finally come. So in verse 15 it says, Therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So they, they are so excited about what they have seen and the way they have read this sign, this is, this is our king. Let's get him and crown him king and start on the warpath to Rome. He can feed us as we go and uh, we, can, we can get rid of the Romans. Any of us who get wounded, he can heal us. When we're hungry, we eat. I mean, what more do you need? So they are ready to make him king. But, and Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he is not the kind of king they, were, they saw, read the signs suggesting that he was. Jesus is the king who came to do his father's will, to, to fulfill his father's agenda, not the crowd's agenda. They have their agenda. His father has a different agenda. He's here to do his father's agenda. He is the king, but not their kind of king. He's not a crowd-pleasing king. So he went up to spend time with his father and the crowd assumed that he would come back down and they waited for him. Uh, eventually it got dark. Jesus had already told the, the 12 disciples to go back to the other side of the lake uh, by boat and they had. The people had seen them get into the boat without Jesus and leave so they're not worried. They're not following the disciples. They're following Jesus and they'll be ready to crown him king when he comes down from the mountain. Well, Jesus waited till either they had dispersed or gone to sleep or whatever, and he came down, and instead of allowing them to crown him king, he walked across the water to get away from them. And <clears throat> uh, you know that part of the story. Uh, how Jesus walked on the water. And that was another sign, not a sign to the crowd, but to his disciples. And they, they saw him coming and were afraid, but uh, he identified himself. And they welcomed him into the boat. And immediately, this boat that was somewhere in the middle of the lake was on the shore. So Christ multiplied the bread and multiplied the fish and maybe multiplied baskets, but he divided the distance. And this two, three miles that were left to go suddenly are gone. And they were there at the other side of the lake. 
And the people wake up in the morning and they're looking all over for him. They can't find him in the mountain and they can't find him where he fed them. They have no idea where he went. So they're looking all over and eventually they find him. And in verse um, 25, it says, when they found him, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, if he was their kind of king, the kind of king that they wanted him to be, what do you think he would have answered them? Where did you, um, when did you come here? He would have said, oh, I, I walked across the water while you guys were sleeping, and uh, here I am. And they would have been all excited because not only can he heal and create food, he can also walk on water. So he could lead the army across the Mediterranean instead of going through Turkey and all of those dangerous places. Straight to Rome, they can finish Rome and the job's done and walk home. They could have picnics on the way there and back on the water. And uh, I mean, this is some kind of king. Very, very useful, isn't he? Very useful. Useful for healing, useful for provision, useful for transportation. Uh, this is a useful, useful king. And that's what they wanted. They wanted a useful king. What they missed was, this is not a useful king, this is a precious king. They've read the signs all wrong. The signs do not point to usefulness, they point to preciousness. So they missed it. I want us to consider Jesus. And I want us to consider him for who he is, not for what we want him to be to us and to our agenda. Because there's probably a huge difference between our agenda and his father's agenda. Many preachers present a useful Jesus for healing, for um, provision, for jobs, for wealth, all kinds of things. Jesus does heal, but he heals when it serves his purposes. Jesus does provide, but when it serves his Father's agenda. I'm, I'm not suggesting in any way that you stop praying for healing or provision or for parking spaces <laughs> because he does care about you and he does care about the things you care about. But if you don't get that parking space, he's still precious even if he wasn't useful the way you wanted him to be. He's still precious. And this is... I would like to ask you, whenever you think of New Hope Uganda, whenever you think of those babies, 
whenever you think of the children that are being raised or the children that have been raised, that you pray for us, that you pray for them, that their eyes will be opened, that they will be able to read the signs from the word of God and the signs in their lives accurately and that they will be led to a precious Jesus, not to a useful Jesus. I mean, he is useful, but he's not to be used. There's a difference. I mean, he's useful to us in many ways, but it's his father's agenda. It's our good, but his father's agenda. But mostly, he's a precious Jesus. To be highly, highly valued. To be cherished. To be loved. To be worshipped. Because when children lose their parents, they don't only lose that love, that relationship, that provision, that care, they, they lose the ability to trust. And the enemy, I don't know how much of it is emotional, how much of it is the lies of the enemy. It's probably a combination of both. And with different children are different, but these are general tendencies. When, peop, when children lose parents, they lose the ability to trust. So when we come along and are involved in their lives, and when I say we, I don't mean just my wife and I, because we have about 150 staff members so when one of our staff members comes along and is caring and loving and in some, to some degree in place of the lost parents, there's a trust problem in the heart of the child because my parents died or my parents deserted me. You seem to be loving and kind and so on, but you can also die. Or you can also leave me. And so there's, there's a self-protectiveness in the heart of the child. They don't want to give their hearts. They don't want to trust because you can fail like their parents failed. So they guard themselves and it becomes, it becomes a survivalist mentality. I will use you, you will be useful to me until you are no longer useful to me and then I will go and find someone who is useful to me. And in Uganda there's a real worship of, of education. People will do anything to get an education because if you get an education, that means you get a good job. And if you get a good job, that means you get money. And if you get money, then you don't have to live the way they grew up. So people are desperate to get out of the, the village, out of the poverty that they grew up in and get to the big lights and the big city and, and where everything is supposedly wonderful. 
And so education is the means of doing that. So the children come to us, virtually every one of them, if they're old enough to think about it, they come to us wanting an education. And we do have a primary school or two primary schools and a secondary school. And we do invest in them and we, we uh, help to some degree all the way through university if that's the direction they're going. And they find that very useful. It serves their purposes. Now, some of them, many of them, do find a precious Jesus in the process. But it's difficult for them often to find a precious Jesus because they find a useful staff and with a useful gospel that if they play their cards right, they get all the way through university and then they're home free. Uh, one story I'd like to share with you is a young man named Waswa Michael. He came to us, I think it was in 1989. He was six years old and weighed 20 pounds because he was so severely malnourished. He was almost dead. And uh, just uh, a tragic, tragic story. But he was cared for and he, he survived, he grew. He went to school. He's uh, quite an intelligent young man. I, actually, I'm amazed at how intelligent he is after all that malnutrition. I don't know how he has a brain left, but he does. And he, he went through high school and he um, got uh, a diploma in computer science. And, um, but, and he lived in our home with my, my wife and I in our home with our children for uh, six or seven years. And we treated him like a son, we loved him, we cared for him, but we always knew we never had his heart. And when, for a variety of reasons, uh, he wasn't going on in education the way he wanted to, suddenly we were not useful to him anymore. And he turned against us and has spoken countless lies against our family, against uh, the ministry, uh, just we're, we're terrible people. And um, that's, it just went on for years. And then uh, two or two and a half years ago, he went to a witch doctor, which he thought would be maybe more useful than we were to him. And now, it's, it feels very strong, uh, strange to, to say that this witch doctor spoke from God, but he did. Uh, witch doctor, or God can speak through donkeys, right? They, he can also speak through a witch doctor. I'm not advocating witch doctors. They're terrible, okay? But if God decides to, use, to speak through one, he can. And he did through this witch doctor. And the witch doctor told Waswa, you have family, go home. And then there was another lady in the community who knew him and knew us and said, those people love you, go home. So eventually he did. And 
Um, I have to say we didn't receive him quite the way the prodigal son was received by his father <laughs> because we'd been burned so many times by him that we were skeptical. We wanted to receive him, but and we did receive him, but I have to say the arms were not wide open and the heart was not wide open, it was guarded. But with time, it became evident that there was something changing in his heart. And he found a precious Jesus. And now, uh, as of January of this year, he's on staff with us. So those who are going to go... Those who are going to go to Uganda, you can meet him. He's, he's handling IT for us at Kasana. And you can ask him to tell you his story. But uh, he stood up, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything that he wouldn't say to you if he was here, because he stood up in front of all of our staff uh, and children and told you basically what I've told you now. And uh, so he found a precious Jesus. He had been looking for a useful Jesus. And eventually he found a precious Jesus. And that made all the difference in his life. So when you think of us, pray for, for our children. That God will give them eyes to see the real Jesus. The precious Jesus the Jesus that's to be cherished and loved and lived for, not the one that's there to be used to serve our agenda. But don't only pray for the waswas. Pray for yourselves. Pray for each other. Pray for us. I need a greater revelation of the preciousness of Jesus. And that's something you can pray specifically for me, that I will have a much greater revelation of the preciousness of Jesus. Who is this Jesus? This is the Jesus who is God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, the one who spoke everything into existence. but then did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant and being found in likeness as a man, humbled himself unto death, even death on the cross for you. He took your sins, the sins that make you feel bad, the sins that make you feel guilty because you are. He carried that guilt. Not only did he carry your guilt, he carried the wrath of God Almighty, the infinite God 
who, who is justified in having infinite wrath against your sin and mine. He took the wrath of God also. He took your sin and he took the wrath of God so that you can be a co-heir with him. Not just a servant in the house of God. Wouldn't that be wonderful if, to be a servant in the house of God? But that wasn't good enough. He made you also an heir, a joint heir with himself. That's phenomenal. That's beyond our comprehension. We have a precious Jesus. And now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. But he's not seated just enjoying what he has done and the fruit of it. He is interceding for you now before the Father. And when the accuser comes and says, look what so-and-so has done again today. He's been doing this for years and he's still doing it. Jesus says, yes, but he's in me and I paid for it. And so there's no accusation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is our precious Jesus. And, but we, we race through life and the enemy wants us to race through life. The enemy wants us to be busy with many things. Some of them, many of them good things, maybe all of them in quotes good things, but that doesn't mean they're the right things because they off, these things that we get so wrapped up in often prevent us from having time to genuinely consider Jesus. So we have time to call to our useful Jesus. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm running late. I need, I need to make that green light. I need that parking space. I need whatever. Be useful to me on my agenda as I serve you. But we're so busy racing through life that we don't have time to consider. It, it takes time to consider. You know, the people saw the signs, they assumed what the signs meant. They didn't consider what the signs meant. And that's why they came to the wrong conclusion. I want to challenge each of you through this week. Slow down and take time to consider Jesus. Not for what you can get from him, but for who he is. The precious Lamb of God who was slain but now lives who loves you. Jesus is not one to be added to your life to bring fulfillment to your life, to bring purpose to your life, 
to bless your life. He is life. And he should be your life, not add to your life. Did you hear that? What is the definition of eternal life? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the definition of eternal life, which is already started for those of us who are in Christ. He is life. He's not useful to life. That is why we are still here on earth, to learn that. The things that you are going through, the struggles that you are having, whether it's health issues or temptation issues or financial issues or relational issues or whatever those things are, they are to help you find your life in him. And it's going to bring eternal rewards. You know, the angels understand the theory of grace, but they don't have never experienced grace. Why? Because they've never sinned and they've never needed a savior. So it's all theoretical to the angels. They could explain it to you, but they can't. They haven't felt it. They haven't lived it. And we are here on earth living, living out the grace of God, enjoying, experiencing the grace of God for eternal glory. Our eternity is going to be far greater because of what we are experiencing now. As we experience the preciousness of Jesus, it will multiply the joy in eternity. But let's take time here and now to enjoy, to savor the preciousness of Jesus. But it takes time to do that. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you sent your precious son. We thank you, Jesus, that you are precious. You are not just to be used, but you are precious. To be loved, to be cherished, to be adored, to be worshiped, to be known. Father, I ask that you will work in each one of us here. Lord, you know our struggles, you know our needs, you know where we've come from, and you know our blindness, you know how quickly we misread signs. And we come to wrong conclusions about you. Lord, we want to see you as you are. We want to know you for who you are. We need your spirit to open our eyes. And Father, for the children in Uganda, open their eyes, I pray. Even now, may your spirit move, opening eyes and giving a desire for the precious Jesus to each of them. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.